0: this is the cable big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week is this just a political fight some political theater a lot of people saying no thank you step back you're saying get it why your connection
1: from the london market close to the u.s market action
2: it is too easy just to blame
0: brexit surely it can't be anything means bye 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 the cable an historic moment from which
1: there can be no turning back with jonathan farrow on bloomberg radio
0: Good afternoon to the City of London. It's Caroline Hyde in all week with Jonathan Farrow as he takes a well-earned break. You're listening to the cable live on DAB Digital Radio, just gone five PM in the City of London. Let's get you up to speed with the top stories. Here's Charlie Pallett.
2: And I thank you very much, Caroline Hyde. Lots going on. We begin with jobs, and the number of permanent positions in the UK grew at the fastest rate in more than two years in July. While the availability of workers fell sharply, this according to a report from the Recruitment and Employment Confederation, it said that helped boost a measure of starting salaries to the highest in 20 months. The pace of hiring in recent years has pushed UK unemployment to a record and sent the jobless rate to the lowest since the 1970s. The UK's most senior judge, Supreme Court President David Neuberger, says lawmakers must be specific about how judges should interpret decisions of the European Court of Justice. Prime Minister May has made removing the UK from the jurisdiction of the ECJ a red line in Brexit negotiations, saying the process would be part of Britain regaining its sovereignty. And Britain, uh, British American Tobacco's coming to market with what might be the biggest bond deal of the year to refinance its buyout of Reynolds American. A person familiar with the matter says BAT plans to sell the debt in as many as eight parts. BAT wrapping up its two-day bond roadshow today. That is the latest from the news desk. Caroline Hyde, back to you.
0: Thank you very much indeed, Charlie. Yes, let's begin with that top story that Charlie was just outlining for us because, well, British American tobacco is coming to market what might be the biggest bond deal of the year. BAT, as it's known, is plans to selling up to $25 billion of debt in as many as eight parts, according to a person familiar with the matter, who asked not to be identified as the deal remains private for the time being. The proceeds of the sale will be used to partially refinance BAT's £42 billion, yes that's $55 billion, the buyout of Reynolds, a deal that would propel BAT to the top position in tobacco related products globally. Perhaps not ideal timing given recent regulation coming into the US. Joining me now to discuss is Ken Vexler, he's Director of Acumen Management and Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg Gadfly columnist. Marcus, you were writing about this today. I was doing some rudimentary maths and it looks as though, if you go into the Bloomberg and look at what the current 2052 bond is trading at, well that's what, three point three percent, and this is offering four point seven percent at least in terms of yield. If you add up all the maths, it's a pretty hefty premium. And is that because of the new regulation?
3: No, I think uh, spreads have been uh, slightly whining for BAT because of the regulation, because of the fact everyone knows they're about to do this massive bond yeah. deal. Uh, and there's also there was a Fitch downgrade last fr- uh, Friday. Though I oh. don't think that makes that much of a difference, seeing as they just match really what. S&P Moody's already were, mm. but you know everyone known this. This break financing um, has to be done. Forty-seven billion odd announced in July. This is a, at least a twenty-five billion slug. Yeah. They have a, a revolver, a loan revolver already out there of twenty-five billion. So it's a neat replacement. I think if it's as successful as it may well be, they may well go for more. So the biggest ever deal was Verizon, I think, at forty-nine billion, followed by yeah. uh, Imbev. Uh, just just a little bit short sadly for them at 46 just the 46 billion sorry <laughs> uh, and of course there was T uh just a couple of, couple of weeks ago yeah uh, just the myy 22 and a half billion so uh, i'm Pathetic. sure British American tobacco will exceed that it's a very quiet market it's august you'd think how can they possibly bring a deal of this size well because there is no other uh competing supply yeah. because as you quite rightly pointed out it's a juicy yield they're going out uh out to 2047 so it's their longest uh, Matured they have by an extra uh, 22 years, so they're really uh, going further out the curve, which is exactly what investors want a, a nice, well known corporate name uh, with a nice long maturity with a very big spread, more than they can get, you know, almost anything else. And even though it may not be for the ethical bond funds, mm-hmm. uh, I think you'll find that the, the demand will be huge. So, we've got the eight tranche uh, dollar deal announced. Today, highly likely tomorrow morning we'll walk in. There'll be euro and sterling tranches launched as well. Combine the lot together, it's going to be at least $25 billion, if not more.
0: The word nice, nice, nice keeps coming from Marcus. Ken, talk to us, though, about the regulatory risk here, because the FDA in the US has just weighed in. They plan to regulate the level of nicotine in cigarettes in the United States. That does mean, therefore, plenty of revenue of the combined B18 Reynolds will be coming from the United States, and maybe not making this quite such an appetizing deal as it now stands?
4: Well, I mean, ultimately, I think, regulation aside, duration is, frankly, the new black. So, as Marcus rightly pointed out, (laughs) it's a juicy deal by all other parameters. And with a yield at 4.7 rather than the originally slated, you know, 3.9 or whatever the previous number was, it still means it's a fairly attractive uh, issuance out there and no doubt will be fairly popular amongst those looking for some fairly, you know, decently rates at corporate paper, and something of that size should find willing buyers relatively easily. Mm. Um, And it just depends on how much of that they want to spread out and over what sort of period.
0: I think this is interesting that um, the syndicates are going for this now, Marcus, considering I used to cover the corporate bond market and August was when you went out and did all your lunches because the whole of whole of Europe were out on holiday and you knew that uh, the deal flow would be so light. So clearly they, they feel that this can purely get away, even with all of but, all the funds on holiday.
3: But currently they could do their lunches after this deal is done in confidence <laughs> they've made their monthly target yeah. in week one because this is going to be such a, a large deal and uh, there will be fat fees on it for everyone involved, and more importantly, for the investors, they they're going to have to go for it because it's going to be in all these big bond in- indexes. Mm. They ha- they have to be part of this. Plus, to get their alpha, their extra secret source, they need to make return above the index. That new issue premium yeah. is their secret source this month, and there's nothing else out there with uh, you know high yield spreads, investment grade spreads. They're all at or very close to record lows. They they are not selling anything. The only doing is they're buying when they've got cash coming in. They're it to work in new issues, and this is the perfect thing for them. As long as it's helpful, they're not an ethical bond fund. Hmm.
0: Looking at who's going to be making the fat fees, it's Bank of America, Barclays, City, Deutsche, HSBC. They're managing the sale. Let's can dig into us for us. Uh, you know, we know that potentially many aren't anticipating another rate hike from the United States anytime soon. This is a time to be, to be raising debt, really, because money is going to remain cheap. But perhaps it doesn't force people to come out of the blocks in quite the rush that they were in before.
4: No, exactly. And so there's obviously something behind the scenes here that intimates that, you know, as you rightly pointed out, August, which is normally a quiet month, uh, getting it done now. And exactly that set against the backdrop of uh, potentially lower Treasury yields going forward, at least in the, in the sort of 6 to 12-month uh, end of the curve. Uh, something as attractive as this, somewhat overmarket, will exactly that get people to the table and get interested parties uh, involved. So as a consequence, I think sort of the stars align for uh, the demand and, and the timing of the issuance right now.
0: And is it interesting that they've gone for US dollars to begin with rather than British pounds?
3: Uh, no, not at all, because basically they're, they're buying American yeah. companies. So buying uh, Reynolds American, which they take up to 100% ownership, um, uh, which costs them 47 billion dollars in total, uh, gives them effectively number one market share um, globally, uh, if you exclude China, and number two in the States behind Altria, otherwise known as Philip Morris, uh, international, mm. when it's outside the States. <laughs> so. Um, it's, and obviously Reynolds has, uh, and British American Tobacco has Lucky Strike, and that's clearly what this bond deal is all about. But you know, <laughs> they kicking off uh, over two billion uh, worth of free cash flow in sterling terms, which makes this actually a very stable, uh, in fact almost underrated at triple B. It's just the fact that by taking the Reynolds debt on which British American Tobacco is assuming, it is quite leveraged, though. The good thing with tobacco companies, there's one good thing, says they kick off all this cash flow. They will work that down. Their EBITDA numbers will come much lower, and therefore I think that in the future you probably would see a potential for an up, a rating upgrade. So you know, it, it makes sense financially for a, a number of different reasons. Interesting,
0: fascinating time. We will be keeping a close eye on how British American tobacco continues to perform and whether or not we do indeed see those Euros and Sterlings come out the gate tomorrow. Thank you very much indeed, Marcus and Ken, sticking with me. Up next, we're going to be debating booming jobs, Mark.
1: This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good afternoon to the City of London. Caroline Hyde in for Jonathan. You're listening to the Cable live on DAB digital radio. Just gone ten past five. Where do we end trading today? Let's have a little look at some of the market performance for you. It's green across your screens. When you're looking, the FTSE 100 up a tenth of a percent. CAC 40 currently up, will close up two tenths of a percent. If you're digging into some of the industry groups that were on the move on the stock 600. Uh, overall, it was utilities, autos, insurance leading the charge on the downside, travel and leisure down seven tenths of a percent. We'll be getting a little peek into how the, some of the travel related stocks will be performing in the US later today. We've got TripAdvisor and Priceline coming out after the bell. But now let's move into some of the job stories that have been keeping our attention of late. In Britain, in particular, the job market's booming. But concern is increasing about where companies are going to keep finding workers from. The number of permanent jobs grew at the fastest rate in more than two years in July while the availability of workers fell sharply. Now, that's according to a report by Recruitment and Employment Confederation published on Tuesday. It said that helped boost a measure of starting salaries to the highest in 20 months. Now the pace of hiring in recent years has pushed UK employment to a record and sent the jobless rate to the lowest since the 1970s. Kevin Green, Chief Executive of the RAC which compiles a report for IH market said that while the jobs market quote, continues to confound expectations a shrinking pool of workers means that employers are having to work even harder to fill jobs. Joining me now to discuss is Ken Wexler, Director of Acumen Management Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg Gabfly columnist Ken, what do you make of these numbers? I mean the fact that we are still going great guns it does slightly bode ill if we're going to have less talent coming in from the EU
4: Well exactly, I mean there's been a lot of conversation uh, coming out of the BOE with regards to Slack in the economy and more so Slack within the labour market Given employment or rather unemployment levels Where they are presently uh, It's sort of a glass half full half empty Question as to how much slack Actually is left in that uh, Particular space and more to the point As you rightly point out if we're To continue along the same sort of trend How we're going to continue or how we're Going to be able to fill uh, those Jobs as they continue to grow Should they continue to grow Um, That in itself might actually be Somewhat beneficial uh, by way of pushing up wage inflation, although I think it really is a little too early to look at it from that perspective. Simply because this is the first time we've seen these sorts of numbers, at least in the last X number of years, and I'm not quite so ready to jump on the bandwagon and say that this is the this is now the benchmark for what the next few years look like. So, as a consequence, I think you know a measured approach, shall we say, needs to be uh, taken with regard to this.
0: I mean. Marcus, if we're going to look across the United States, we've got those pretty stellar jobs numbers on Friday. Interestingly, it was the lowest paid within the job bracket that we're seeing the faster pace of employment at the moment. Where do we think, is there anecdotal evidence of where some of this job demand is coming from and which areas? I mean, we all know it's the staycation is upon us in the UK. Do we think it's the restaurants, industries and the hotels that are really driving up the UK employment to a record?
3: Yes, I think think that's certainly a factor short term. but, you know, we've had, you know, this incomeless recovery, uh, both in the States and particularly in the UK, uh, which is frustrating. Um, these wonderful wonks in the for central banks <laughs> to look at the Phillips curve and uh, wonderful things like NIRU, non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment, i.e. the sort of crucial point whereby the economy runs too hot and all of a sudden you get, you get inflation out of control and they have to hike rates. Unemployment keeps on dropping and the reason what's frustrating is wage inflation and the Bank of England finally had to admit at their last uh, meeting in an inflation report in August that their wage inflation estimates are way too high and it's simply the Phillips curve isn't working how they expect it to work. They've do got they give a reason as to
0: why they think no, it's they do they simply
3: working. don't understand it and more importantly they expect it to come. In fact perhaps it's been delayed but when it does kick in they expect it will be it will normalize much quicker than it otherwise would. Mm. But the reality is, is their models aren't working.
0: I mean, Ken, we've only got a minute left, but many say automation is the blame and technology. Some say it's just people have sat on the sidelines for so long. Is that why we're not getting wage pressure?
4: No, I think it's just narratives for the narrative gods right now, to be honest. I don't think there's a clear cut explanation as to why we're not coming through. lower paid jobs in the gig economy, if anything.
0: Well put, eloquently done within a short amount of time. We're going to be coming up next on The Cable discussing how one billionaire is putting plenty of money in, well, perhaps the technology debate, putting it into electric vehicles and the metals that drive it. And a check on your traffic. This is Bloomberg.
1: This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Caroline Hyde. You're listening to the cable live on DAB Digital Radio. Just gone five nineteen in the City of London. It's a green days on your stocks. Let's have a little look at how we're warming up in the United States. Currently, futures are trading up two tenths of percent on the Dow Jones. We're seeing the P five hundred currently up three tenths percent overall. But if you're looking at how we're currently trading, well, up about tenth of percent on the Dow Jones. It really has been just record after record that we continue to see in the US. And some dovish comments coming from the Fed. We'll be digging into that much more later. but now let's have a little look at what's happening in terms of perhaps investing in modern technology. An investment firm founded by Russian billionaire Vladimir Irych, or Irich maybe we should say, considering his billionaire, is <laughs> following its winning bet on cobalt, which has seen its price surge this year by creating a new $150 million fund to buy into other metals used in electric cars. Now, Pala New Energy Metals will invest in cobalt, lithium, mm. vanadium, rare earths, nickel and tin. Pala Investments started the fund with its own money and cash from other investors, and the firm previously snapped up cobalt, essential for lithium-ion batteries, anticipating surging demand from automakers that may more than doubled the prices in the past year. Joining me now to discuss, it's Ken Vexler again, Director at Acumen Management, Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg Gabfly columnist. We cannot get enough of our potential for electric vehicles, and maybe we should be betting on the metals behind them.
3: Certainly rare earth elements are the one big factor which China has in its uh, its element it's actually in mongolia Molly um, court, which had a, a lot of stuff uh, <laughs> in, in a big mountain hiding in uh, in the american peninsula uh, continent, has not really sort of done very well of late so cobalt's an interesting one it's uh congo's got a big uh, big handle on that that's been a source of quite a lot of controversy recently but uh these things, as we try and save the planet, we have to uh, mine the planet in different ways and, and transport them. And, and, the, and the methods that are used to uh, to mine those things are often uh, far worse than the uh, net result. Anyways, the way it's going with batteries, they will finally uh, get to a level, of course, which will make uh, perfect sense and make hydrocarbons and no more. But we are yet to get there. But uh, all power to those who are – excuse the pun – uh, who are, are researching it to make
0: their say. <laughs> yeah, Ken, it's interesting because for years we, you know, after the global financial crisis, we saw battery demand. Well, we didn't see that there, and we saw cobalt market really marred in a surplus. That really did turn around. There have been worries, though, by. Plans potentially to hoard base metals this is certainly something that's been raised by by Consumers as concerns that prices might go artificially high. Is that is there a concern that we might see Investors jump in and try and artificially drive up the cost of these of these rare earths
4: Well, I don't, I don't know that they'll necessarily deliberately artificially drive the price up But exactly that if there is a view that this is the future and by all accounts, we're certainly headed down that road then early adopters and early movers with the capacity to do so, a la Russian billionaires and the like, fair play to them. I mean, if, if this is where we're going and they have the means by which to, if not corner the market, then certainly get an early jump on things, then that's how it's going to play out. Uh, in due course, we'll have to see whether there's, um, you know, efficiencies of scale, whether there's comparative advantage across those that get that early jump on and, and how they then monetize that. But right now, it makes perfect sense that they would at least give it a nudge.
0: I mean, certainly talking about striking while the iron's hot, Marcus, because I feel like Tesla obviously led the charge with this luxurious car that they're now unveiling a slightly slightly less luxurious, but still basically in the luxury category, Model 3. But we've had since then Volkswagen coming out saying they're going to be able to take over Tesla. You've had even the likes of Volvo, which is owned by the Chinese company saying that they will fully move to electric. It seems to be very on trend.
3: Yeah, Volvo basically said they're not gonna make any engines which don't have some uh, mm. new energy elements to it. They will make engines which have- uh, Hybrids. A uh, uh, hybrids, thank you. That's the word they use, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, look, in California, they they want to ban all non electric cars. I think by next week or something. So, um, <laughs> you know, we we we've come up with uh, twenty fourteen in this country, which was just merely mirroring what um, uh, the French have done. Uh, the argument would be that if the pace is is which Tesla's obviously clearly, the char- clearly leading the charge, Google is clearly right behind as well as an Apple. I'm sure and others as well that will be well before that date that we will have a proper opportunity to to run that. I know uh, a couple of friends of mine who have Teslas and they absolutely swear by them. I think they're they're amazing. Best best thing since sliced Spread, literally. And the new one has literally no panel space, literally just a computer screen, and that's your lot. Yeah. So, you know, we are going, we're getting there at pace, and, um, you know, all all, all good news.
0: Yeah, I have to say, I was lucky enough to. Um, rent a couple when I was in San Francisco and they are a lot of fun to drive. No raw though, which apparently Ferrari, when they make their electric one, will be putting a roar in, artificial (laughs) as it might be. But Ken, I mean, is this this all paths lead to electric vehicles? Do you think that this is really, um, when you look at, say, for example, the Tesla price-to-earnings ratio, is this something that you can swallow easily or question?
4: Well, I mean, I'll be honest, it's it's not my area of expertise, but the one thing that I certainly can't reconcile with regards to Tesla is the amount of cash burn that they're going through on what is essentially a daily basis against what they're actually getting through the door or what they're selling. The longevity of that particular model or that paradigm is probably of of the only concern to me with regard to Tesla at the moment. The question becomes uh, whether global demand and global pace meets what Tesla thinks it will and therefore negates how much they're burning every day in producing what they're producing. So down the road, I'd I'd wager probably not, and even if world demand does get to that point, uh, there'll be others. There'll be Volvo, there'll be BMW and the like. That'll probably be in that space well and truly by then, which means that Tesla might not quite be where they would like to be or think they might be.
0: I mean, interestingly, they came out saying they would be looking to sell debt to uh, help finance yeah. that that cash burn. It's all about infrastructure, though, as well, isn't it? We're going to have to have a few more electric chargers if we're going to be supporting this sort of we
3: thing. We certainly else. are. And that, that's something actually which uh, caused Tesla some problems when the uh, uh, equivalent um, uh, company in China, which Mr. Buffett invests in, mm. um, made it quite clear that they were not going to be very helpful uh, with providing chargers, And, in fact, the system in in China doesn't allow Tesla to charge any cars That's there are no sales of Tesla in in China. So it's a competitive field. I think you will see the Chinese will have a very uh, competitive as well, which is what it's all about, is getting global competition. Yeah, and
0: certainly their regulatory environment has been pushing big time for electric vehicles, help with that smog situation. Gentlemen, as ever, it's absolutely great to have you with us. Ken, thank you very much indeed. and Marcus Ashworth here in the studio with me, still ahead on The Cable. It's US stocks slipping from record highs. Well, actually, they're back on the green, but we've had some dovish comments from the US Federal Reserve.
1: This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow. On Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good afternoon to the city of London. It's Caroline Hyde for Jonathan Farrow. You're listening to the cable live on DAB Digital Radio. Just gone 5 30 p.m. here in a rather grey city of London. Let's get you up to speed with the top stories. It's Charlie Pellet.
2: And I thank you very much, Caroline Hyde. A lot's going on, and the number of prominent jobs in the United Kingdom grew at the fastest pace in more than two years in July. While the availability of workers fell sharply, these numbers according to the Recruitment and Employment Confederation, it said that helped boost a measure of starting salaries to the highest in 20 months. The UK's most senior judge, Supreme Court President David Newberger, says lawmakers must be specific about how judges should interpret decisions of the European Court of Justice. Prime Minister May has made removing the UK from the jurisdiction of the ECJ a red line in Brexit negotiations, saying the process will be part of Britain regaining its sovereignty. And British American Tobacco's coming to market with what might be the biggest bond deal of the year to refinance its buyout of reynolds american a person familiar with the matter says b-a-t plans to sell the debt in as many as eight parts b-a-t wrapping up its two-day bond roadshow today that is the latest from the news desk Caroline, back to you.
0: Charlie, thank you. It's interesting that news from VAT in terms of the bond sale affecting U.S. Treasuries. Let's dig into U.S. stocks now. Slipping. Well, at the moment, we're actually seeing new records being set. If we just check in on the Bloomberg, I'm seeing we're up about a tenth of a percent on the Dow Jones. S&P 500 up three tenths of a percent. We're going higher. Meanwhile, dollar has been just um, flitting between gains and losses, but it seems as though we've overall been seeing a bit of a lackluster session on Tuesday. But what we have had is dovish comments from the U.S. Federal Reserve officials weighing in on the market. Two Fed Reserve officials said soft U.S. inflation was a problem as they played down the risk of market disruption when the central bank starts shrinking its balance sheet. Comments on Monday by St. Louis Fed President James Bullard and Minneapolis's Neil Kashkari, two of the Fed's most dovish policymakers, to be fair, line up with Expectations that officials will keep interest rates on hold when they meet next month and announce the start of a gradual process to trim their holdings of treasuries and mortgage backed securities. Joining me now is Yelena Shuchleva. She's a senior US economist for Bloomberg Intelligence and Gina Martin Adams, chief equity strategist for Bloomberg. Yelena, talk us through it because. Both these guys are pretty dovish as it stands, but we're not expecting any, certainly the market's not anticipating any rate hikes for the rest of the year, if you're typing in WIRP on your Bloomberg. And that seems to be all about Friday's numbers in terms of inflation.
5: Absolutely. So, uh, it is uh, Bloomberg Intelligence Economics' view that uh, we are not going to see a rate hike uh, at the upcoming meeting Uh, the focus of the september meeting will be on the balance sheet and this seems to be uh, a common topic uh, throughout uh, the fed speakers uh, recently so uh, even the most dovish uh, fomc participants seem to be on board uh, with the balance sheet unwind including uh, mr bullard and cash Carey. Uh, the question is, uh, uh, is really the, the uh, rate hikes. So, um, Bloomberg Intelligence Economics expects another rate hike by the end of the year, uh, and we're expecting one in December, but for that, inflation needs to turn the corner, I, I would say.
0: It needs to turn the corner, and it all lies on, therefore, this Friday number. Uh, Gina, is this really what equity markets are, are bracing themselves for?
6: Um, I don't know if there's a lot of bracing going on in equity markets. <laughs> Frankly, these days we just keep making these incremental new highs and this and this so-called melt up that we've been in really since we mm-hmm. had a correction in early March. I, you know, I think that equity investors actually are a little bit more focused on the other part of Washington and what fiscal policymakers may do. That is a big distraction in my mind, and they should be focused on what monetary policymakers are going to do. But for now, there just seems to be much more focus on whether or not we're going to get something done on taxes, whether Congress can come together and create a real budget and maybe increase the debt ceiling. And, and that yeah. seems to be the bigger focus, if there is a risk that equity investors are focused on. I think generally, though, investors are sort of celebrating a very, very strong earnings season trying to look to fundamentals, looking at the economy continuing to improve, looking at earnings that are far better than expected so far this year and finding that a reason to continue to bid up the value of equities. I mean, amazing. I'm just typing in
0: EA earnings analysis into the Bloomberg. On the S&P 500, we're seeing... What is it, 90%? Well, we saw sales surprise overall for some 68% on the upside in terms of revenue earnings. We saw 78% of companies that have so far reported beating in terms of earnings. Yelena, I, I mean, talk us take us back to the economics surrounding all of this because... We we've we've got inflation proving pretty lackluster. Where where goes the dollar then? Because we are sort of flitting between. We saw plenty of strength on Friday when the jobs number came in, and it seems to be rallying once again today.
5: Well, uh, it is like our uh, view that uh, in in the mid, mid uh, term, uh, the dollar should probably strengthen, and just simply because uh, the Fed uh, is pursuing the tightening path. Uh, while other central banks are still in an easing mode and uh, uh, on hold. So uh, overall, we think that uh, trend should continue. Uh, Just recently, we saw some weakening in the dollar, though, and uh, Mm. that actually filtered into some of the uh, economic statistics. So say, uh, import prices of goods uh, actually saw uh, some support, uh, but... Uh, That might, uh, you know, get some comfort to uh, Fed policymakers, but uh, unfortunately, it could be temporary. So our view at Bloomberg um, Intelligence Economics is that, uh, unfortunately, inflation will be very slow to pick up. In fact, uh, you know, just blaming it on wireless services providers is probably not uh, the right thing to do because Hmm. it's much more broad-based. Uh, If we exclude wireless services from the calculation of uh, core inflation, we still see a significant deceleration in inflation. And uh, we are going to see further proof of that uh, in the Friday's number.
0: But while we see, therefore, no real urgency to be rate hiking, money remains cheap and there's still the search for yield. And so, Gina, overall, when you're as chief equity strategist, is it Mm -hmm. all eyes still on US equities? Are people looking for yield in in other countries when it comes to the equity market?
6: Yeah, I think what we've found actually so far this year is investors are searching a little bit beyond yield. I'd say this is Mm -hmm. the first year in many years in which investors have really become broader risk takers. And that's evidenced by the fact that emerging market equities have done quite well. European equities even beyond the yield oriented sectors in Europe have done quite well the yield-oriented stocks and sectors in the S&P 500 have actually underperformed. So, I think what's happening is, while investors still obviously crave yield, they're looking at earnings yield as opposed to dividend yield as a justification for purchasing equities. And, I mean, frankly, it's the right thing to do. The dividend yield on the S&P 500 is just 2.1%, so it's pretty tough to say that these are. You know, you're looking for income out of your uh, stock market investments, and even when you are, the the stocks that pay four, five, even six percent yield have underperformed so far this year. So it seems to be really an earnings story, and maybe a little bit of evolving risk tolerance. Um, certainly, relative to where we were the last two years, investors mm-hmm. are showing a market degree of risk tolerance that hasn't been there for a while. Uh, you know, on the dollar, I do think that the dollar is really fascinating. I mean, this is probably one of the most least talked about stories that's impacting the equity market. So I'd love to get back to that when we can.
0: Oh, OK. <laughs> Interesting. We'll be back and digging more into your views on the dollar and why that's the, really the un untalked of story. I'm looking forward to that. We've got Yelena and, of course, Gina Martin-Adams coming back with us in a moment. And next up, we're going to be delving into, well, jobs are plenty. it would seem, in the U.S., We'll be discussing the U.S. Labor Department report on The Cable next. This is Bloomberg.
1: This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good afternoon to the City of London. Caroline Hyde, you're listening to The Cable, live on DAB Digital Radio. I'm in for Jonathan all week. It's just gone 5.40pm in the City of London. I'm checking out what's happening in your equity market trade. At the moment, we're currently seeing green on the screens. It was a green day on the Stock 600. Utilities, autos leading the charge there in Europe. We're up about a tenth of a percent on the Dow Jones, yet more heady records being hit. S&P 500 up a quarter percent. Michael Kors really outperforming, dragging higher the likes of Ra- Ralph Lauren as well. Ralph Lauren and Michael Kors, merchant. Less likely to be marked down these days, apparently according to a Bloomberg story, that's showing up on the bottom line for both companies. But now, let's dig in a little bit more into some of the economic data we've had coming out today in the United States. The surge in U.S. job openings to a record indicates demand for work is remaining strong, a U.S. Labor Department report showed this Tuesday. Now, the number of positions waiting to be filled rose by 461,000 to 6.16 million in June. That's according to the Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, or Shultz. analysts had forecast 5.75 million openings. And the May reading was revised upward to 5.7 million. I'm very pleased to say we're joined again by Yelena Shulietseva, senior U.S. economist of Bloomberg Intelligence and Gina Martin-Adams, Adams, chief equity strategist for Bloomberg. Gina, we're going to delve into the dollar in a moment with you. But first of all, these U.S. job numbers, I mean, we're seeing the same reflected in the U.K. as well, surging openings and just not much wage growth being followed through with it.
5: Not much wage growth, uh, probably because it's just uh, really slow to come. So we look at uh, the employment to population ratio as a leading indicator for uh, wage growth, in fact. So the number of employed as a share of overall population only recovered by one third since uh, the uh, financial crisis. And that is a better indicator in this business cycle than. you know than what uh, the unemployment rate uh, suggest. Hmm. So we just think it is just taking longer and uh, we'll eventually get there, but uh, it's just not uh, materializing as of yet. In terms of uh, uh, job vacancies, it was a really good number. This morning we we saw a jump in uh, job openings. And uh, that might signal that uh, the average payrolls gain in the second half of the year could exceed uh, that in the first half of the year. We averaged around 180,000 jobs in the first half of the year. We might see 200s in the second half.
0: Wow. It's interesting, actually, at that moment when that number came out, we did see a reversal in markets and the equities went higher. we seen the dollar go higher. Gina, you were talking about the U.S. dollar and and how it's impacting equities.
6: Yeah, I just think it's a, sort of an underreported story that the dollar has literally plummeted oh, so far this year, very contrary to expectations. And that plummeting has coincided with a very significant sector rotation, particularly relative to last year. If you look at the dollar and where it peaked in December, it almost precisely called the top in value stocks. It called the top in financials. It created this rotation into growth stocks as the dollar has started falling, tech stocks has started outperforming, growth had its best six-month performance relative to value in years so far this year, and a lot of that, I think, was because of the dollar rotation. At the same time that the dollar started falling, the 10-year Treasury likewise reversed course and that created an underperformance for financials. So, I do think that while, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, while investors have been very keenly focused on what's going on in Washington, particularly with uh, the White House and Congress, what actually is going on with monetary policy around the world, I think, has had a much more important impact on stocks, particularly sector and stock-level performance within the equity market. And if you go back to December, what happened in December was Mario Draghi started edging away from very, very easy policy in Europe. And so monetary policymakers are having pretty profound impacts on markets, you know, not just on the headline, but on individual stock performance and sector performance. This has been a year in which stock pictures have had the opportunity to really outperform because we're seeing massive change in the underlying uh, stocks.
0: Fascinating. And yeah, while we see yet more and more records being hit and the earnings season continues, we'll have plenty of updates. We've got Disney, of course, TripAdvisor and Priceline out after the bell today. We'll be keeping you abreast of those numbers. But in the meantime, we're going to be delving into The Cable on the US GOP party, discussing some permanent tax changes. There's a bit of traffic for you as well. This is Bloomberg.
1: This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Or not Jonathan, as the case may be. He's having a well-earned break. It is a very good afternoon to the City of London from Caroline Hyde instead. You're listening to the cable live on DAB Digital Radio. Just gone 5.49 p.m. here in the City of London. Let's check in on what's on the move in terms of your equity markets. We're currently still in the green. Dow Jones up a tenth of a percent, SP 500 up two tenths, Nasdaq currently up four tenths of a percent. We're looking at the world bond market for you as well, WB, on your Bloomberg. And we're seeing just uh, perhaps a little, well, not much m- movement, really, on the United States' uh, yields overall. We're seeing just a little push higher up one basis point on the two-year. We're currently up some two basis points on the five-year. Similar moves on the 10-year as we speak. Let's have a little, though, dig into what's happening on the fiscal front, what's happening in the political front, because the U.S. Republicans struggling to pass a major tax overhaul that ha- doesn't add to the federal deficit. Well, they're discussing a kind of compromise mixing permanent revisions with temporary rate cuts for individuals and businesses. Officials on the House and Senate tax committees are talking with the White House about a hybrid approach that would combine lasting tax code changes to deter offshore profit shifting by corporations with lower rates for a number of years, according to three people familiar with the discussions just joining me now is Yelena she'll get to you a senior US economist for Bloomberg Intelligence and Gina Martin Adams chief equity strategist for Bloomberg Gina you've been talking throughout the program about how equity markets perhaps more focused on the politics rather than the monetary policy side of things and I mean, all eyes on whether really we get reform pushed through in terms of tax or indeed cuts pushed through in terms of tax. And what's the story telling us from the US Republican side of things?
6: Uh, You know, I think it's still grasping at straws, frankly, just trying to figure out some way to get something passed so far this year. (laughs) And so far, we just can't seem to get anything accomplished out of Washington, at least on the fiscal side. You know, I do think that there are two things that the Republican Congress and Trump both would really like to see happen as soon as possible. The first is a repatriation plan, because they really yep. want to get at this $1 trillion of cash kept overseas. It's very patriotic-sounding to bring that cash back home. It could produce um, at least a share boost, if not some yeah. form of economic boost. And so, there's, there is there is a definitely a scramble to try to get something done there. And then, if there's a way to reduce the um, income tax rate and corporate income tax rate, I think that they would really like to try that, too. So, I do think that we're going into a period of time, absent all the discussion about the budget and debt ceiling, where we probably will talk a lot about taxes in the second half. Incidentally, there's almost zero evidence that the stock market is anticipating. Any sort of tax reform at this point. Uh-huh. We did a mid-year survey, and only forty percent of investors even thought we were going to get tax reform by the end of next year. Um, but it, I mean, you can also narrow that down to the stock level, and high taxpayers are not outperforming this year. So there's very little evidence that the stock market is actually thinking this will happen. Uh, nonetheless, if it does, you do have a potential, very potentially very strong earnings impact. Yeah. from corporate tax reform. And you could have a very strong um, just cash impact from repatriation. I I don't know if we get it. Frankly, it just seems incredibly unlikely that we get yeah. much done this year. But, you know, the more that the, uh, the, the chatter escalates, the more the market may react.
0: Yelena, from an economics point of view, what could money being brought back home, even if it ends up in shareholders' hands rather than perhaps reinvested into businesses, are we likely to see a a help or a hindrance to the U.S. economy in general.
5: Again, this is a matter of uh, the probability of that happening, really. And uh, uh, in fact, uh, Bloomberg Intelligence Economics uh, recently revised uh, the forecast for uh, economic growth next year down by half a, a full, uh, by half a percentage point, really. Um, and now we're not expecting uh, growth anywhere near three percent. Uh, uh, Well, it's it's real. The economy is doing okay. Uh, We're growing uh, slightly above potential growth, but uh, we're not going to get a significant boost unless we do something major uh, in terms of fiscal policies such as taxes or infrastructure spending. And in fact, the economy doesn't really need uh, this at this point, probably. Uh, Instead, we need to... um, Work on uh, boosting potential growth in the economy, so that uh, in future years we get a little bit more growth. So we could invest in infrastructure, things that will boost productivity growth, and mm. uh, you know allow the economy to grow uh, a little bit more in future years. Right now, the economy is doing kind of okay, right? Uh, look at the labor market. We are yeah. um, not, uh, you know, in. Um, we're not desperate for. Uh, fiscal stimulus right now. Rather, we need to invest in some more long-term things that could uh, improve productivity and such. Gina, I thought it was
0: interesting that you're saying at the moment it's not really baked into the market that, mm-hmm. well, certainly equity investors aren't anticipating anything to get achieved in terms of tax. But I thought these record highs w- were to some extent factoring that in. Are we not going to see any sort of correction if, if we see in political impasse once again?
6: Uh, You know, you you certainly could see a very short-term correction based on anything happening. I do think there are a number of divergences in the equity market that are already suggesting that the market is sort of running on fumes here in early August, and August is one of the worst historical months for stocks in general. So, uh, you know, if you're going to bet on a correction coming for stocks, you bet on it in August, September, or October, and those happen to be months in which we are likely to have some political fireworks. That said. I do think that the market this year is not rising on the prospect for policy reform. I I think the market, instead, is rising on much better than expected earnings results. I mean, in the first quarter, we had 15% earnings growth on the S&P 500. That's nearly triple the average annual pace of earnings growth that we've recorded so far this cycle. We're on pat track for more than 12% earnings growth in the second quarter. Any sectors stand out? You know, almost all sectors are beating expectations. At least in the second quarter, every sector except for energy is beating expectations for earnings growth. And the only reason energy is not beating expectations is because expectations were for nearly 300% earnings growth and the growth is instead 230. So, you know, I don't think Shucks. there's a lot to be complained about. That, complaining about there, frankly.
0: Uh, we can't get, they always wants even more. We're a hungry bunch. <laughs> it's been great getting your perspective, uh, ladies. Thank you very much indeed, Yelena Shutkileva. I'm sorry, I muck up that beautiful name each time, but it is a beautiful name, Senior U.S. Economist of Bloomberg Intelligence and Gina Martin-Adams, Chief Equity Strategist of Bloomberg. Wonderful having their perspectives. This is The Cable and you're to Bloomberg.